Okay, there's something weird going on. I'm having technical difficulties. I just recorded the entire episode, and then it glitched out and was unrecoverable, so I'm starting over. It was meant to be just a short bonus episode because I had a psychic dream that was relevant to global kind of stuff, so I wanted to share that with you. Um, and I want to try something I've never done before and play something over the podcast. And I'm hoping that will be it will be audible. So what I wanted to talk about was that I had this psychic dream something like a week ago. Um, and in it, essentially, well, I'll just say beforehand that I didn't know it was psychic at the time. Um, I knew that it was significant. And I... When I lived in New Mexico, I learned a DreamWorks process that I've used ever since, and it's been extremely accurate and very helpful over the years that I've used it. So I did that DreamWorks process on the dream. Essentially, the DreamWorks process is that you write out your dream, you circle things from the dream that stood out to you, and you'll instantly know that you won't need to think about it at all. And then you write all those things from that you circled out on a list and you put a dash. And then you just go down the list one by one. And as soon as you stop having associations to whatever's on that line, you just go to the next one. You don't think about it. You don't try to come up with anything. And you just basically free associate and say what comes to your mind when you look at this thing. So, for instance, if you have a red door that stood out to you in your dream, you would just write red door. And then when you get to that line... When you see red door, you're going to, you know, you're going to think of stuff. It's going to make you think of a bird that you saw last Wednesday on a bench when you were in the park. Or it's going to, you know, it, whatever it, you, it makes you think of in that moment, it's very different from if you were to go get a dream book from the library or buy it online or whatever. And it would say, you know, a red door symbolizes this. And it's like a static, you know, universal definition that you're supposed to apply to your life and yourself. So this is, this is a very dynamic process. Um, so the dream essentially was I was at a house that my father was at. My uh, late father, he was there, and he was working on something in the back of the house. And I had started to walk down the bluff towards the beach. And he had turned and gone inside, and I had felt it immediately. Like I had eyes in the back of my head, like, you know, I could see everything without having to turn and look, so I knew that he had done that, and I instantly knew that I had to turn around and start walking up the hill and get back there to take care of it, you know, because, um, so this dream was, and, and I'll just finish the dream just so you kind of have more context, he left the back door unlocked, and he left a machete out on the table outside the, in the back of the house, so I had to go and take the machete inside, and I had to lock the back door. And this dream is very significant because I've had a probably decades, multiple decades long recurring series of dreams that unlike the sort of traditional way you think of a recurring dream, it's not the same dream. I've had those too. But this particular dream, it's always a different version, but it's the same theme where the back door is always either left open or left unlocked. And... In multiple of those dreams, my father has been involved with the back door being unsecured. So I've done a lot of dream work on this dream, and I do feel like it's fairly obvious that it's of something about uh, there being something unsecured and not defended, and that the recurring aspect of it is basically an alarm, like it needs to be secured, it needs to be dealt with. Oftentimes in the variations of the dream, I will be the one who goes in and figures out how to get the door secured. In some cases in the, this dream series, I haven't been able to, and it's caused me great anxiety. Um, <coughs> excuse me. In this particular version, I was able to get it locked. So what made it a psychic dream and why it's worthy, I think, of a bonus episode of this podcast is that it was either the next day or the day after that that Q dropped a post, and it was it had the word ascension in the in the post, and I immediately was like, oh my god, because when I did the dream work, something in the dream that had really stood out to me had been the fact that I had been descending this 
really steep hill and that I had turned around and I had to go and ascend it. And I had actually used the word ascent when I did the dream work process. That was actually a word I used. And there was something about it. I hadn't really gotten any clarity on that when I was doing the dream work other than there's something about like, you know, the ascent is like, a, it's a good thing. It's like, um, you know, I don't know how to put it. I, I don't have the dream work in front of me actually, but that stood out to me greatly. And I remember actually thinking about that after doing the dream work, that particular aspect of it for some reason was standing out to me. This is what makes it psychic. Hugh had dropped uh, and used the word ascension, which I was like, oh my God, okay, what? And what's kind of even weirder is just, I think it was yesterday, I was watching one of the broadcasts I typically tune into, and I had come across in that broadcast another cue drop that I had missed because the app that I used to get the drops was glitching out that day, and so I must not have seen that one, and it was a much longer drop, and it had the word Ascension. In fact, it ended on the word Ascension with a capital letter, and it was talking about protecting our DNA. It was telling us to protect our DNA because our DNA is under attack and that the ones attacking it are trying to change it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, obviously, the, the injection that the, all those powers that be that have been just relentlessly trying to get everybody to accept it, um, even beyond all the science that shows that it not only doesn't stop this virus they called COVID, uh, 19, it, it actually, the people who've gotten the jab are the ones that are getting quote unquote COVID-19. This, this, the data is very obvious. It's very clear and it's, it's well known and well circulated in scientific communities and to the public. So the fact that this, they're still pushing this injection on people and they're trying to get forced kids to take it and stuff literally makes no sense. If you don't understand what's really going on, the injection actually contains it's an mRNA technology, and it actually does change your DNA. And this was scientifically verified um, during the last two years uh, by scientists, actual scientists, <laughs> in their laboratories um, to show that it does indeed change your DNA. Okay, so that's something that I think is an obvious reference to what Q was talking about. I think there's other things involved with that, but um, the fact that Q ended on the word ascension really made me pause um, because when I was descending that hill and I knew something had gone wrong and was off and I needed to turn around and change direction and ascend the hill again to handle shit, to me that's a pretty obvious reference or metaphor for you know, the evolution of the species, but also the defense of the DNA. I mean, leaving the back door open, when I was getting these dreams several years ago, and then the whole election was stolen in 2020 by collusion with foreign powers. And we all watched it happen, those of us who are tuned in and understand what's going on here. Um, we watched it happen right in front of our eyes. And they did it again just with the midterms, too. Um, but, you know, this country's being run by a puppet government at this point. You know, the, the, the government has been usurped. Um, <laughs> and so... I, I remember thinking a lot of the stuff that I had seen was using the phrase back door and I was, it hit me at a certain point. I was like, no way. Like my series of decades long recurring dreams about a back door being unsecured cannot possibly have to do with the 2020 election, but it's kind of unavoidable, unavoidable to see that it, it, you know, it correlated to that. Because that's what happened. There was a backdoor in the in the system. The machines were engineered with the weaknesses on purpose so that they could be accessed. They were connected to the internet, and a bunch of different foreign powers were able to hack in there. Yada yada yada. This is all available, very very well preserved and well documented. If you want to go into that, but so anyway, back to kind of what I wanted to say here. It's like okay, Q is actually telling us we need to protect our DNA. Holy fucking shit! And of course the injection is um, changing the DNA. So, you know, obvious way to protect our DNA is not to fall uh, for the bullshit lie that not only do you know that you need this injection, but that you're that they can tell you you have to take it. 
and then the word ascension and uh, when I've typically heard that word in, in my reference you know point where I've come across information um, related to this it's usually being used in the context of the evolutionary path of the human species so like you know ascension like um, growing into our next evolutionary stage and I definitely in my research have you know come across a lot of stuff that seems to indicate quite clearly that we are being um, held down in that regard and god it's so weird I was um, I want to talk a little bit about Balenciaga and I want to talk a little bit about a documentary that I randomly watched the other night I think it might have even been last night that I didn't mean to watch and that I was thinking would be really terrible but was actually really impressive and it was on, um, of all things, giants, which I'm not like, I'm not like a type where I'm like, oh yeah, giants are real. You know, I, whatever, <laughs> I'd like to know. It's interesting. But it turned out that the whole documentary was basically like, and in this year, in this city, in this country, this, the, several of these or news organizations published these stories. And here they are, here's the newspapers where these were published, that these scientists and these excavators found you know, these many bodies that were measuring from seven to 10 feet tall. And in this one, you know, in this place, it was 12 feet. And then this other one that was 18 feet tall. And the skulls were like literally 24 inches in diameter. And the feet were 23 inches um, long and eight inches wide. And these are all just like findings. And they just kept going and going with all these findings. And I'm like, oh, so, so wait, so then there were giants. Okay. Huh. Um, and I was just kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> so why is that relevant? Well, they were saying that um, all the native tribes in the United States had the same story that they had had to fight off and kill off this uh, race of giants because the giants were cannibalized. They were eating them. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, there's, there's cannibalism again. Um, so if you look at, let's go to Balenciaga. So if you didn't know it's pretty mainstream I think but then again I don't know you know what is mainstream now I think a lot of people are ignoring the mainstream news because it's obviously such bullshit but I just really don't know you know so if you've heard this or not I don't know but Balenciaga is like a elitist fashion brand and they had published this series of photographs with very young children like three or four or five years old holding these bags that were like stuffed animal bags but the stuffed animals were in bondage gear they were in BDSM bondage gear you know and it was just really 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 inappropriate like sexualizing children and as if that weren't enough evidence of pedophilia on the desk in one of the photos they had a bunch of papers that explicitly said something about virtual child pornography so <laughs> luckily a lot of people are picking up on this and they're like empowered by Q and they're like hey you know calling them out on it um, and then of course there's celebrities that are like well we're just not going to say anything about that because, you know, we're going to do a bunch of videos about, you know, COVID or, you know, Trump or whatever, but we're just not going to comment on that, you know. Um, but, you know, obviously because we're involved. But um, so that's the pedophile angle. And then you have the, I mean, essentially what I wanted to say in the, and I had said this, I think, a little better in the first version of this podcast episode, but that's fine, whatever, is you know, I think that this is relevant. It's interesting to me whenever there's a psychic experience, it's definitely a wayfinding. It's like a point of reference. It's a, it's a sign on the path. It's like, Hey, look over here. This is important. You know, it's kind of highlighting whatever it is about, right? Synchronicities are kind of the same way. The psychic stuff is even more pointed. It's more specific. It's more like, this is important. And, and you kind of tend, I tend to know why more easily because the psychic um, experiences that I have tend to be more specific and detailed, whereas the synchronicity can sometimes be a little bit vague and hard to understand or interpret because it's kind of like, okay, these three things are con are confluencing, but what is you know what is it about, right? It could be like a color or a song or something like that, and it's a little harder to interpret. But this was specifically related to protecting our DNA um, and there being a vulnerability to the DNA, and then um, looking at ascension. So, you know, I mean. What did Q? What is Q about? Well, Q is about basically three things: countering the mainstream fake corporate news narrative propaganda, uh, you know, with real in, in research and information, um, and then exposing the transnational pedophile cabal. And uh, so, <laughs> if you look deep into this, you start to 
come across a lot of evidence that shows that it's not just um, pedophile, they're actually satanic and they're cannibal. Um, I know that's really scary, but it's what it is. And it's one of the reasons I took off and went and hunted down in the desert. Um, because I know what I'm running from. And, uh, you know, again, it might sound crazy, but uh, I'm quite sane. Um, and it's it's just what there is, man. <laughs> it's at the, the bottom of the rabbit hole. It, that's not even the bottom, but that's the essential, you know, results or conduct of what's at the bottom. Um, and so it's just really, really horrific and really sad. And they're targeting children. And I hope more people wake up. Um, I think people are waking up around the world in big numbers, but I don't see that we have enough yet mass to actually overthrow this criminal syndicate that's um, basically committing genocide against the global population, trying to push us into this great reset and this great table reset where they take over the food supply. I don't know how many farms they shut down recently in one country. I can't remember where. Um, you know, I mean trying to get us all on the digital currency so they can freeze our bank accounts whenever we don't do what they want and we and we talk about something that exposes them. I mean, it's all right there. It's all happening. You know, it's kind of like the beauty of Trump and Q is that that whole thing, that whole confluence basically put it all on the table for everybody to see. And now it's kind of like if you don't know, then you're not paying attention or you're, you know, you're, you're entranced and you're hypnotized. So I don't want to harp on it, um, but I just thought it was really significant, and I, I thought it was worthy of, you know, an extra episode, a bonus episode. I did plant about five of the oaks uh, night before last, day, bef yeah, day before yesterday, and last night I had a bunch of javelinas come through multiple times last night and send the dog alarm off. She was just barking and barking, and I had to go out there a bunch of times with the flashlight. And they kept coming back, so finally I just, like, took her out on the leash and, like, went and scared them away, and then they all ran off. And I had eaten some of the cacti that I had planted that my friend had sent me from Arizona, and I was kind of like, man, I just planted those. So I went to check today to see if the oaks, if they had attacked the oaks, but the oaks are all okay. And I did also use, like, some branches around them, too, to hold down the mulch, but also to keep the javelina away. So the trees are still okay, so that's the main important thing. Um... And then the only other thing regarded to the, related directly to the project as far as the land goes, because it's all related to the project, um, and that is that um, I noticed that the first episode of season two on the YouTube channel actually was blank, and I'm really sorry about that. I didn't know that. I went and tried to find the um, visual assets, the imagery and the video clips, to redo it, but they were all disappeared. They all had just been deleted or something. I don't know what happened. So it's kind of a bummer, but I did get episode two up. It's been produced and published. And so, and that does have some footage of the land. And as I get more into the uh, episodes into the season, you're going to see a lot of, um, a lot of footage of the earthworks and the results. And it was so, it was almost like heart-wrenching in a way. It really evoked a lot of feeling in me to see some of that old footage of how it used to look, um, which is the barren wasteland, like eroded, you know, um, road frontage and how it looks now. I mean, there's plants growing, there's flowers, there's, it's amazingly different. And even in just a small amount of effort that I've been able to put into it um, with all the other things I'm doing. So I'm looking forward to getting that stuff um, produced because it's really going to be more rich, you know, a lot of before and after type stuff and showing how this is made and whatnot. Um, so anyway, that's kind of good. And then, um, I wanted to see if this will work. I want to play something for you that I think you'll enjoy. And I, I, I think it's kind of fun, um, that I got a comment on this where someone was like, um, uh, oh, it's, it's scary. And I was like, well, yeah, duh, it's scary. That's the whole topic of the book. Of course it's scary. The music is meant to be scary. That's intentional. Um, and I saw that comment because I had gone onto my YouTube channel that two years ago or so I had, I had unlisted a bunch of content because we were all getting all the digital soldiers and all the conservatives that were speaking the truth um, and calling everything out that was happening we're getting completely censored and deplatformed, and um, my Twitter is still, um, what do you call it, like, I can't think of the word, um, 
but it's not, I can't use it yet. And hopefully next week Elon gets everybody all back on the platform. Um, but anyway, I had, I had recently relisted all my content just because I figured I wanted it to be available to people. And I noticed several things. One, I got an immediate strike <laughs> for the video that they didn't like this time, other than the other five that they took down was a bunch of independent journalists actually at an event reporting on what was happening at the event. But, you know, that was quote-unquote against the community guidelines, so that was a strike. But luckily none of the other stuff evoked a strike, and so you can go actually watch the interviews that I did with the writer of The Matrix. Um, those are really important interviews. Uh, really blew my mind what I discovered doing those interviews from the author. Um, really well worth a watch. And I did also notice that... Um, and this was happening to a lot of conservative voices, a lot of, um, you know, independent journalists and digital soldiers or whatever you want to call it. Uh, throughout the whole period, everybody was getting censored, um, is that they were reducing and changing the, the watch counts. And I certainly noticed that with mine. I have screenshots proving that it was over 4,000 views on the first interview. And now it shows uh, somewhere 2,500 or whatever. So they are um, manipulating view counts, even with my content, you know, someone like me, I'm not an influencer, I don't try to get big followings or anything like that, so they're still, um, you know, reducing that content, or pushing it down, or whatever, it's probably some algorithmic thing, I don't know, I don't even want to know how that all works, but it's evil, <laughs> but yeah, so that content is back up on the channel, and you can watch those interviews, and they are pretty revelatory, pretty amazing stuff, <laughs> it's pretty scary, but, but pretty eye-opening stuff. Um, got to talk to the actual writer of the movie, of the script. So, um, with that, I'm going to see if this will play for you. I started writing a book in 2009. I knew I was really onto something. But when I started doing research to see if anybody else was talking about what I was writing about, it scared me so much what I found. I stopped writing for three years. A lot's happened since I started writing this book. A lot of things have fallen in my way, as if some force were trying to stop me. Maybe you're familiar with this. You're trying to do something creative in these times. But this was something different, something dark. I think that it is vital for me to share this journey into the darkness and to lead you there with me. I want you to see what I found. But more importantly, I want to show you the solution. I believe that every person needs to understand how thick the mulch be when the hordes descend. I really think that this is a call that I've been drawn to in my lifetime. This is basically a tell-all book. It's going to show you how to survive what's happening. People are going through horrible things lately, and a lot of us are awake. But I haven't seen one reference yet to the very bottom of the rabbit hole. I've only seen reference to the layers just above it. This book exposes what's at the very bottom. In order to survive, we need to confront that very darkest thing. I hope you'll support my project by pre-ordering a copy. It is in its final edit now and will be published soon. Keep for tuning in and supporting my work. I hope you'll read Zombie Permaculture. There you go. That is the book, so that was what um, apparently was too scary, which I hope it was because it's meant to be scary. It's very scary. What I found is extremely terrifying. But um, so yeah, so that's it. I just wanted to share that stuff with you guys. Thanks for listening, and um, I'll have more updates coming soon. But I hope you're well and avoiding any attacks on your. I'm testing something that might be a complete bust. Um, I think there's something wrong with the audio on my device because. If I hold the phone that I use for these podcast episodes, even just a normal distance away from my face, um, like a foot or 18 inches, it barely, you can barely register it, which I'm sure you found out if you listened to the last episode. But this episode, I'm doing an experiment where I'm recording segments separately. And it's a good way, potentially, to save time. And I don't know how it's going to go. But I'm feeling invigorated because I'm doing video production right now and looking at the old footage is just exciting to see the changes and to see the progress and I'm putting together uh, some educational materials as well 
for students. And one of the thing I, things I wanted to do was include a resources section where each of the course modules will have videos and PDF downloads and you know worksheets and all this stuff. And so what I wanted to try to do is recycle or repurpose some of the footage that I've already taken. And so that's kind of lit a fire under my butt to get the episodes for season two of the vlog <laughs> up on YouTube. So it's been really creatively fulfilling and satisfying to get this nagging to-do item off of my list slowly but surely. But um, one thing that I noticed was that I still had not taken the time after decades of being a designer to actually get a really quality video made of how to do a swale. And I finally went and did it just now on the fly. <laughs> I like tromped out there with no socks, just put some boots on, you know, kind of lugged all the stuff all at one time, had my shovel and my concrete scree tool and my tripod, <laughs> just went out there, broke a nail, um, <laughs> and shot, you know, and dug and shot this um, swale so that people can understand, like, how do you actually make one? What are they supposed to look like? How deep are they? What are they, you know, how wide are they? What do you mean when you say that? You know, because I've noticed over the years, many people have been confused about what a swale is and how it's supposed to look. And in particular, I found that installation contractors, landscape contractors, they have no idea. I've been on jobs that I've designed and I'm, you know, being the, I'm serving as the construction manager on the project as well. And I go to check the site as part of the inspections and the installation contractor has dug a trench, a one foot wide trench. And he's just ignored the, what the plan says. And he's, he just has no idea. And I'm not trying to get on these people's case. I'm just saying that like, you know, <laughs> if it's not done properly, it's not going to work. A swale to function needs to be dug to the proper dimensions and the proper shaping and everything like that. And I've witnessed this on my own land looking at, you know, the, <laughs> I think I've shown you some footage already and I've talked a little bit about half-assed swales where I'm going in, you know, either during a rainstorm and looking at where the water's going and getting in there and just shoveling big chunks of it out of the mud, you know, while I'm standing in water. Um, and then there's other times I'll just go out there and quickly you know, rough out some swales fully intending to come in there later and make them proper. But, you know, time passes and everything else I'm doing gets, you know, hap it's happening, it's getting my attention. And um, they just sit there looking like super half-assed for a long time. So <laughs> it was like, wow, I don't really have anything that I can show people. I mean, I can show you a finished swale that looks really beautiful, but then how did I get there, you know? so. I just went out there and shot, I think the best footage I've ever seen of a swale. <laughs> Cause I've looked for footage as well to show people and over the years a few times and I didn't find anything. So um, that's just really satisfying to get that done. And I'm gonna include that as a resource for my students so that they can really understand like what the heck is it that we're building here? <laughs> and this is again, this was a pit swale but you can make these as long as you want. And then if you want to do a pool, you can also, like a pool swale, I call it a swale pool for lack of a better idea of what to call it. But that just means that you go past the minimum 18 inch width. And that's really, oh, that's really all it is. <laughs> but for some reason, it just mystifies a lot of people who've never heard of permaculture and who have no idea how um, water infiltration works. And even people that are really into permaculture, um, I've seen those, you know, several types in that camp completely not getting it either. Like I was part of a, a group actually that was called, uh, it had, it had bioswales in the name and uh, for quite a, I think a couple years. And I didn't want to step on the toes of the woman leading it because, you know, she had great intentions and I was so excited that she was so motivated and making it happen and starting a group and, you know, using her connections and, you know, so... I just didn't really push it, but I did mention it one time where we did one of our site visits to a local park. And the exercise she'd come up with was to talk about where we would place swales. And the goal was to get this into a report that I helped write to send to the city. 
to try to get them to include swales in their parks. And anyway, when we went and kind of at the end of the exercise and we showed each other what we had, everybody else in the group had placed their swales literally at the bottom of the, the slope, at the bottom of the watershed. And I was kind of like, I have to think about how to tactfully say something about this because <laughs> it's a big deal. Like that's the opposite of what you want. You want it to be at the top and then along down. So you want to be infiltrating water at the top of the watershed and soaking it into the ground down below that. So what they were doing was really just hydrating the very bottom, which is kind of funny and ironic because that's what I've started with on my property. And I've talked about this a lot in this podcast where I'm working on the road berm for now because that's, you know, the main goal to start out was just, you know, stop the water from leaving the property <laughs> if, pof- if possible. Um, and then, of course, the whole system will be built up, but it's just me and a shovel, like I've said before, so it's going to take me quite a while to get it done. But um, I'm also working on a million other things and, you know, tend to have a lazy streak sometimes because I work so hard. <laughs> I don't want to do that certain things sometimes. So, but really the proper way to do swales is you want to start at the top and go down and you can definitely have swales at the bottom, but if that's the only swale you've got, it's in the wrong spot. You know, if that's the only one you're planning. So, uh, anyway, that was a nerd fest and a half, but that's something that really is one of the three big fulcrum things I teach, usually teach my clients, um, you know, is, is the swale because it has such a huge impact. So, and I was even just digging into the half-assed swale to build the nice swale, the proper swale. So even the half-assed swale, the soil was hydrated. And it's been weeks since we had a some kind of light rain. And I think it was quite a while before, between that and the previous real rain. And it's hydrated. So it's pretty exciting what depressions in the ground can do. And I was just re-watching um, this African farmer who's one of my big inspirations. Because he's like not this highfalutin, you know, look at me pay me a lot of money because I'm a big name, which is fine, whatever. I'm not dogging on, you know, Bill Mollison and Jeff Lawton at all. I I love them for what they do and did, and and it's all good. But there's just something I really resonated on a heart level with this African farmer. He was just a humble farmer, and he was dealing with completely arid, desertified land, and everybody laughed at him. All his friends and everybody, they were just like, you're crazy. That's not, you can't do that. And he took something worse than what I started with here. And he transformed the whole thing. And everybody was like, oh, my God. And then they all joined him and started helping harvest because he had so much food harvesting, uh, being harvested off the property. And so he's one of my big inspirations because he's doing simple things like what I'm doing. So I don't think it needs to be super fancy and technical necessarily to get things to really work. And I'm kind of in the boat of the um, African farmer as well, because um, I'm just this one person and, you know, I'll I'll post something very occasionally on social media and, and, you know, some local will inevitably be like, you know, you can't do that and start laughing and pointing the finger and making fun instead of being even just curious, you know, let alone supportive, but just even just curious and open-minded. So it's kind of, it seems like a lot of people just don't think that it can work. And it, it absolutely can. And uh, I've seen it, and I'm seeing it right now. So I'm really excited that at some point when I get it all done, it's going to really show, and people are going to go, oh, my God. We doubted you, and we were we shouldn't have doubted you. This is, you know, this works here. Can you show us how to do it? And that's ultimately what I hope comes out of this project. So... segmentation experiment is working but the sound quality on the phone is awful I found a couple of uh, sound enhancing like uh, programs that you can use online that allow for audio and video sound like increase but it takes a long time I had to do all the videos for the uh, segments I've been working on uh, producing today and yesterday, I had to put them through twice, um, and I've raised them a total of 13 decibels. 
So I'm hoping that this comes through or comes across because uh, I'm holding the phone right up next to my face. But I just wanted to quickly share um, a manifestation that I had. I won't go into a huge amount of detail, but um, essentially I had been doing search engine optimization for several years. I was self-taught. I basically, um, I think, manifested you know, what I was led to and what I ended up learning. Um, and I ended up using it to quadruple my income and, you know, really start making a really good living off of, you know, my design business for the first time and, you know, enough money to actually like leave Oregon and, and then, um, of course, make it in LA for four years. Well, I'd say three in a quarter years to be realistic, but, um, so I'm fairly savvy self-taught when it comes to SEO. Um, and I find it really interesting and fun. And, uh, so I was using this program that was just amazing. It crunched so much data, so many data points that really there was nothing else like it. And I counted myself blessed to have found it. Um, so I had been using that and it was just amazing. I had organic traffic, really high organic traffic and, and it was just really useful. And then um, Adobe, one of the Adobe products was discontinued and the entire program was based on that product. It needed it to run and so it was discontinued as well. And I'm guessing, I'm kind of trying to remember when this happened. I think this was like something like three years ago. And I remember they gave us three months warning that it was going to be discontinued. And I was kind of like, death knoll. Oh, man, what are we going to do? And so I was like, well, I'll use the program itself to research other um, tools to see if they actually are as viable as these people are all saying they are. <clears throat> and so I went and spent those three months, like, essentially, you know, I'd go onto these SEO platforms that claimed they'd generated really viable keywords and, you know, all these experts talking about them being like great tools and I would run them through the program and all of them to a one turned up with totally unviable keywords, like nothing that they did was viable. It was all just garbage. So I was kind of like, well, shit. <laughs> and it was, it's been several years, like I said, and I was I just been kind of like, I was resigned to this loss, this inexplicable loss. And luckily I've got a lot of domain age and I have, have written a lot. And I, a lot of the keywords that I have are not a lot, but I'd say several are pretty much evergreen for the industry niche that I, my main business is in. So, but it's like, you know, it, it just felt like, okay, I've, at some point I'm going to have to figure this out because how in the world do you get found on the, the World Wide Web, man, if you can't do SEO anymore? And how are all these people doing? And I, it was funny because I was listening. I listened to a, I couldn't even listen to the whole thing. It was so bad. But it was a podcast dedicated to SEO. And it was like, you know, we're like SEO experts and yada, yada. And I was listening to these people and they just didn't know what they were talking about at all. At all. And they have a whole podcast devoted to it. And I was just like, man, it really is as bleak as it seems. Right. And so um, on one of the walks I took, I think it was the week before last. And I remember like saying it out loud. I was just kind of like, you know, I basically wished for an expert that I could trust who really knew that he that I could trust. He really knew what he was talking about, which is like, come and tell me what works for SEO now that, you know, that program is no longer available. And I just it's you know it's kind of like I guess I must have gotten clear about that even though it was in the back of my mind obviously for years because I don't know what I was doing today I was well I think I was doing video production and I was maybe waiting for something to I think it was the program that was increasing the volume on one of the two of the segments that I'd filmed today um and so I was kind of like you know we kind of killing time and I came across this guy and I just something about he was just saying the right things and I hadn't heard anybody else say the right things. 
about this topic about SEO. And I was thinking, okay, um, all right. Well, actually, no, he didn't say anything about SEO. I'm going to be catch myself um, before I make stuff up. He said stuff about um, making money blogging, and I love writing. So I was like, you know, how many articles are, you know, you c can you find on the internet about that, right? Just like a million. Um, but just the way he was saying all the right things. I don't know how to explain it. It was just like, I just, it just resonated. And I knew I was like, this guy, I, you know, like he's just, he's, sounds like he's very articulate in what he's saying. And there's something about this. So I just went ahead and watched the, like, I think it was probably a two hour long video. And I knew that he was going to be selling something, you know, from that or whatever. And, but I just, the content, the free content he was offering, it was just like rang all my bells. And I sat there and I took meticulous notes. I think it might have taken me three or four hours to get through it all and write down everything. And he was speaking extremely fast, um, much faster than me. <laughs> um, and that's part of how that goes, though, for reasons that, I don't know, it, it's part of the whole thing. But so I just, um, it, essentially, this thing fell into my lap, this exact thing that I was asking for. And so I'm going to go ahead and see if I can fit that into my schedule. <laughs> but I just wanted to share because um, I've, you know, there's a, there's some difficult things about living alone in the desert with no family of any kind and, you know, not having anyone to help do anything. And when things break down, it gets a little scary. And, you know, last week I was trying to drive to town to go get more propane and both shocks fell off of my car, back of my car, and I, I, it was unsafe to continue, and I barely made it home, and, you know, so I've been stranded in the desert for a week now, with no ability to go anywhere, and, you know, no one's come and checked on me, my, I guess my friend came a couple times, um, briefly, but he's just been working so much that, you know, he kind of kept the car running, it was like, I guess he's that busy, but, um, you know, I'm in communication with people um, online and stuff, but it's like, it, it hasn't bothered me at all. I've been very busy and enjoying the peace and quiet. And, you know, it's, I've got good stocks of everything because I've prepped pretty well. But at some point I'm going to need to get my mobility back and be able to like go get supplies that I can't get online, um, like propane. <laughs> uh, I guess technically I don't need it because I have a solar system and I have backup heat, but like, I, you know, I need to cook. <laughs> so, um, it's been an interesting experience. And so every, you know, every time, like, how do I put this? It's like, if you've studied the law of attraction, you know, that, you know, where you can get into like this pit where you, you sort of lose track of how easy or how amazing using the law of attraction is. And you might not even be in a pit. You might just be, you know, just, you don't even know you're off the horse, so to speak, right? Like, you kind of just slipped off and you're walking beside the horse and you're like so off in the weeds, you don't even realize you're off in the weeds. So you have to make your way back and it's this process of getting back and it can be difficult because you've gone, you've strayed so far vibrationally, you can't just leap back to where you had, be, you had been. And so I try to celebrate every time there is a manifestation because one it reminds me that I'm doing something right you know I'm not so far off in the weeds completely that it's going to be continuing doom and gloom I mean there's there was another kind of big bad thing that happened that I just did the best I could to handle it but it's pretty messed up in a way but you know there's nothing I can do about it it's just like let it go I did I did what I could do and I'm following due diligence, but it just is something like, you know, just life happens, things happen. So, um, but yeah, I was kind of like, oh, wow, you know, I've studied law of attraction enough to know, even though I'm nowhere near perfect at it, but I've, I've studied it enough and long enough to know that what's, what you're experiencing right now is the way that you were vibrating previous to now. So, you know, I was able to kind of take that stuff in stride that happened and go, you know, the way that I respond to this is really the key here. It's not just not to let it freak me out or panic me, you know, and 
for some reason I was able to do that fairly well. So I guess maybe that could be why I manifested this answer to a pretty big dream. And it it's going to take a lot of work to do. And that's probably why I think most people don't know how to do it, but they also don't finish it if they do find out a lot of people don't sort of follow through and, and complete, finish building the thing. Um, but this is a sign that I'm doing something right. Even just a little effort that I'm trying to remind myself to make every day <laughs> um, is, is going somewhere. But so, yeah, I don't know. These are things that may or may not come up for you if you decide to move out onto the land somewhere it's most likely going to be rural if you do. And, you know, you might have a partner or a family or both or whatever. But um, I know there's some people out there in the world, I'm not the only one, of course, who are alone in the world. And, um, you know, I'm, I think that these kinds of things are going to come up, whether you're on your own or with other people, you know, life happens, and each one of us has to try to stay on that horse, so to speak, um, in terms of staying positive and staying focused on, you know, the goal and not letting the things that happen drag you off your, your path and derail you. So it's kind of exciting. I mean, I might sound like I'm down in the dumps, but I'm not, you know, um, but I am, I have, I've been kind of like in this like base, I don't know what you call it. It's like a, it's almost like milk toast. It's like mediocre, just kind of like nothing really that, exciting has been happening and I'm aware that I'm not in the flow and also some really bad things have happened like for instance there was a guest staying at this B&B down at the end of my road whose dog attacked me and my dog every time we walked by and he was on a leash every time thank god and the guy would come out and be like oh sorry and then the then the last second to last time I went past there he had left the dog off the leash and the dog came and totally attacked my dog and knocked me down in the road. And I've got a bruise. I can't really, like, do certain yoga moves because it hurts too bad. And it's like, things like that were happening. And so it caused me to go, oh, crap. Okay, I'm, I'm totally off in the weeds. And I wasn't even monitoring, you know, that this was happening to me, which is how it happens. At least for me. Um, but... In there, there's also a little bit of good, and that's kind of my, my point in sharing this, is to hopefully inspire anyone else out there who's familiar with the law of attraction and manifestation and frequency, you know, physics, whatever, and is interested in that kind of thing. Because for me, it's been really good wayfinding when something good happens, you know, something benef beneficial comes. And, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like a snake eating its tail in a way where... If you can just, <clears throat> excuse me, if you can just be sort of positive, I guess, for lack of a simpler way of putting it, then more positive things will happen. <laughs> but, it, you know, so there's like this seamlessness to it that it's like begatting, like it's like in the, I don't, I'm not religious at all and kind of anti-Christian, um, you know, more power to you if you're Christian, like do your thing, just don't try to get me to do it. And I really don't hate anybody at all. I'm certainly not into Satanism, just so we're clear, <laughs> but I'm just not religious. Um, but it's like, uh, I, told, wow, I totally lost my train of thought off on that tangent that I just went off on about like not being religious because I started to worry that I was offending any Christians who might be listening. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to have to learn how to edit because that was ridiculous. And if I don't ever learn how to edit, then, then there you go, you get the whole thing, but Suffice it to say, there's good and the bad, and um, the fact that there's a little bit of good. Um, oh yeah, I was talking about the seamlessness of the snake eating its tail. Um, but basically, like, it's like one goes for the other, but other. And I was thinking about in the Bible how everybody begat each other, and I'm like, well, who's the first? How? Okay, so supposedly, if Adam and Eve were made out of ribs, whatever, <laughs> then they were all like screwing because, you know, if there were just two people, then they're all basically incest it's disgusting it's horrible so whatever 
but then again, I have done research that very strongly indicates that Christianity is a satanic delivery system disguised as this savior religion. And one of the main reasons why I think that, and again, no offense, if you believe what you believe, I'm not, you know, I'm just saying what I think and what I've come to. And that's, you know, that there's this idea that there's this savior that's going to come from the heavens and save you. And you don't have to really do anything down here really because like Jesus is going to come save you. It's the same thing with Trump. Like I, I freaking love Trump. I think he's amazing and there's never been anyone like him and he's the best president that I've ever seen in my whole entire lifetime. And if you don't believe that, then you're not paying attention because he's just totally, he's done more for America than literally anybody. He's, he's, uh, I, I'm not going to go off on Trump, but you know, nobody's perfect, but all those imperfections were so magnified into something that they weren't even, it wasn't even real. He's just a pretty good person. Um, but so it's like a lot of people, and I think it's a lot of Christians in the conservative movement that are awake and understand that we're like under siege here um, by this evil cabal. And maybe it is because the cabal is satanic. You know, that makes sense, right? That Christians would rise up against that. And I, I'm grateful for the Christians in the movement because they are, um, they have, they have good intentions, their hearts in the right place and they're fighting the fight, you know, but what I don't agree with and what frustrates me personally is this whole idea that like, you know, Trump's going to swoop in and save us all. And it's just like, that's, that's like the very kind of thing that will get you eaten alive, dude. You know? And so I call it Trump Jesus because it's the same exact thing. It's just this redeemer ideology. It's this false implant into the, you know, into our, into our minds for what, for lack of a better word, way of putting it, that gets us focused off of the present and what we can do in our power of manifestation. And that goes back to kind of my story about how I manifested this dream that I've been holding and, and not knowing how it would get resolved or if it ever would be answered, you know, and this idea that we, we need to like put all of our faith in this caped figure that's going to swoop in. It's just bullshit. It's, it's, it's a distraction. It is such a cleverly disguised weakening tool that just makes you passive and, it's, it's ridiculous to me. So, you know, that's my two cents on it. And, you know, I, I have my opinions and again, I don't, I, I have respect for the Christians that I've met and I was a Baha'i very briefly, quite a few years ago, uh, I think all the way back in like 1997 ish or so. Um, and that really taught me to have true compassion for other religions, in particular Christianity, which I had really, it pissed me off for a long time. Um, and now I'm, I'm tolerant, you know, and it's, I've had a few friends who've actually like been really aggressive in trying to push Christianity on me. And it, it's, it tests the boundaries of, you know, it tests my interest in being friends with people like that because it's very disrespectful and it's really they just really have no right to do that but then again Christianity it justifies doing that within it you know and that's part of why it's like to me obviously a bad thing but then there's always the fact that more people have died and died horribly under the hands of Christianity or because of Christianity than any other entity in the history of the planet that we know of so I feel like that's something that whenever I've very, I haven't really posted this very more, much more than like maybe twice online, Christians will just totally become quiet. They like don't want to talk about that. And it's like, well, you should be able to talk about that. Let's talk about it, you know, because it's, you know, it's one thing to be like, oh, ignorance is bliss, but it's another thing to be, you know, I mean, doing that now with what we're facing, you know. If you want to know the truth, if you want to understand what's really going on, then I think you have to look at the darkness and, you know, you have to face some things that aren't going to be fun. But otherwise, you know, it's kind of like the metaphor of the matrix. You know, you can, you can go back in and 
you just don't want to remember anything because if you did, it would ruin the steak, you know, and it'd make make you aware that what was really, you know, you're just plugged in and all gross and in these pods and <laughs> all that stuff. Um, or you can just live in the real world and, and face it and really be alive. And I know there's like a balance a walking. There's like a line to be walked, I guess, um, with that because law of attraction dictates that, you know, the less you're like focused on quote unquote, what is the better off you are and the more good stuff you can bring into your experience, whether that's things or people or circumstances or whatever. But there's a really strong element of like in this movement because of what's going on to really be like, oh my God, when you realize what's at the bottom, well, I don't think anyone's talking about what's at the bottom, but if you realize what's just above that, like, you know, this whole ball thing and what they actually are doing, um, you kind of, you have that choice. It's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this. <laughs> I can, how can I not fight this? This has to stop. There is no alternative except for taking some kind of blue pill and going just blanking it out and pretending somehow if you can that it doesn't exist and that's not happening and one of the things q had said was that you know those who know can't sleep and then also it was something to the effect of i don't know if q said it or the community around it um q said it but something like you know once you know once you wake up you can't go back to sleep and there's an element of that too this idea that you could just go back into the matrix and you know they'd plug you back in and day to race your memory i mean that's that's a nice idea i guess i don't think it's a nice idea actually it's a horrible idea but <laughs> for those people who who can't don't want to look at what's really going on and they can't handle it and they don't have maybe um the ability to balance the kind of the utilization of law of attraction with you know like doing investigative research and fighting this fight which I would say that's kind of what I do. I have one foot in both worlds, so to speak. Um, I do walk that line because, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a polymath because I do go that way. I like and have the ability to do multiple things. But it's, to me, it's like, I can't just go live in bliss like Esther Hicks, you know, like, la, 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 la. I, that's, I don't think that that's as fun or interesting or valuable or like that you know it's helping as much and I know that Abraham Hicks will say you know yes it is that's the most it's the best thing you can do for other people is to live in your vortex or whatever they want to call it but I just I don't know I don't think I'm built that way like I'm really just built to be able to handle and want to look at the darkness and it's um it's I'm not going to go like go on the dark web. I don't mean anything like that. I'm not going to subject myself to like, you know, things that are going to be really traumatizing, but I just am very aware of there being a darkness and it's, um, it's gone too far and it needs to be put in its place. And, um, you know, for someone like me with like ESP, I can't just turn off those senses. I can't turn off that awareness, but at the same time, I'm really interested in the law of attraction because it's fucking amazing. And, you know, I've dealt with a lot of hardship in my life and I'm in a fairly precarious situation in certain aspects. Um, you know, having come out to the desert alone and all that, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine, but, um, it's just sometimes, you know, a little scary. And I think that's natural. I think if anybody were to do something like this, and I think that's why many people don't, I had a really psychic experience one time. It was beyond psychic. It was, it was like something else going on. It was like really paranormal on top of a mountain. And it was actually the highest point in the coast mountain range in Oregon, <clears throat> in Western Oregon. And one of the things that I gathered from that experience was an insight that I was sort of able to have in a moment of that experience where I, thought how human beings settle in valleys not just because it's shelter from like weather or you know invasion 
but also because it shelters us from our perceptive openness like it's terrifying sometimes you know i mean i haven't ever let my my awareness my perception go that big um since except it was dropped on me once pretty recently when i described to you the sort of cosmic hydrological drop that i was shown or that i was able to pick up on or maybe I helped bring down or something. I was listening to Abraham the other day and they were talking about how human beings absolutely do impact the weather. It was just like kind of a, oh yes, absolutely. There was no question in the answer. It was just, yes, they do. And I've always suspected as much, but how are you supposed to really confirm that? Um, Especially when wanting to share that with other people. But to me, that's something I've noticed, and it was kind of jokingly that my cousin had said to me when we were still talking back in Pasadena, uh, she jokingly said, oh, you, you know, you must have brought the rain, because I had come from a rainy place, and had come down to LA area, and it was you know, not, it's not a rainy place, and there'd been a really bad drought for like, I think five years or something like that, and then when I got there, the drought broke. And I remember a couple of times, it was two times, that I specifically intentionally focused on bringing rain. And and rain came. It came within a day or two or three days. And I, I can't prove that, you know, I, even to myself, I can't prove that it was what I did. It could have just been that I was, you know, it was coincidence. Or, you know, you look at it the other way, like, could it be that I was psychically picking up on the fact that there was going to be rain? You know, but I don't, I don't know if I really believe that because... To me, it was like there was a drought. So I tried to use law of attraction and be the rain, right? Like It's like the mutant message down under. She was tasked with finding water, and so she became the water. And that made her a vibrational match to the water. And so she was able to be drawn to the water. And then they survived in the desert, in the outback. So, I mean, it's a big subject, law of attraction. But I, I it's like I almost like want to keep one foot in the default world, in the world that's being experienced by the rest of humanity and not just go off into the clouds, kind (laughs) of. And I don't know if that's not delusional. It's just, you know, maybe it's a product of being alone most of the time. And it's not by choice. I mean, I would love to have more of a community. I've always wanted that, but it's just something that just has never materialized for me in my life in a really physical way except for when I was a little kid, and then I've had brief bouts of pseudo-physical community, Um, but it just never sat right with me, the communities that I have found that were into, like, hanging out a lot or doing cuddle puddles or whatever. It was always like they were all sleeping together, and they were all doing really bad drugs, like hard, heavy, crazy drugs, and or they were, like, really uh, narcissistic or um, super toxic or you know, just abusive or whatever. <laughs> and I, don't, I think that's also a manifestation. And uh, I was thinking about wounds and how you can reopen wounds over and over and over and over. And why would you do that to yourself? Well, I think that it's a sabotage. It's like you're getting a need met in a way that's not helping you, but, you know, you haven't really looked at it deeply enough to find a better way to, to remind yourself that there's something to be healed. And those wounds are a reminder. They continue to show you that there's something wrong that, you know, you need to attend to. So it's kind of funny because you're like inflicting this thing, but the deeper wound is much greater. So these surface wounds are, they're kind of like a worthy sacrifice in a way. But yeah, um, I'm not sure that this segmentation experiment is really good because I feel like my train of thought is broken up. And normally I have more of a cohesive, statement to make but this just feels kind of a little bit all over the place although I do tend to connect stuff um that's how I think is I see the connections but it might not I well I never really thought about this until people would mention it to me maybe three times or so where people would say like you know they would startle at the idea that the things I was talking about were connected and I'm like well of course they're connected you know but I didn't want to say like you don't see the connection because they were like kind of trying to stop me from making those connections it was like trying to shut me down kind of thing um but that's just like I tried I kind of tried half-assedly a little bit 
um, like after the third person mentioned it to me <clears throat> to maybe like, you know, try not to see the connections, but it was like, no, that's, they're there. It's obvious. I mean, if that's not working for them, well, I don't know. I mean, but that's just what I see. And, you know, I'm not going to like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to like turn it off and see less. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and there's just all different kinds of people in the world. So, you know, who, who really cares if your cup of tea isn't someone else's cup of tea, really, you know, because there's so many different cups of tea. Um, anyway, so this has been a lot longer than I had planned and it's going to make the podcast probably too long. So I'll have to see if I can figure out how to edit and this may never get heard because I don't really, I've never tried editing any of these before. So this is a very new experiment. So that's that.